You're listening to And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Rayu. And we are here for another author interview. Um, today we're talking to Jun Her, author of The Science of Bones, a former book club pick, uh, Forest of Stolen Girls, and most recently, The Red Palace. Uh, we talked to her about her background in writing, her inspirations for writing mysteries in the Chosun Dynasty, and also her inspirations for the little bit of romance she throws into this book. I was so stoked to get um, an e-copy of it before it came out. Um, I don't know if some of you guys saw the post, but we had an opportunity to pitch books that we were excited about uh, for 2022 on Forbes. And The Red Palace was one of my picks. So I was like, yes, I'm so excited. I love like Chozon Noir that um, I just love murder overall. And then you mix that with like my interest for for like period dramas it's like a perfect mashup of all the things that I like. So. Yeah, and the Science of Bones excited. was yeah, and the Science of Bones w- was one of our favorite reads. Um, was it last year when we read it? I think. Yeah, I think it was last year. Yeah, and I was really excited to learn more about where um, this concept of mixing the Chosun Dynasty period pieces with like gritty noir mystery came from, and actually came from a very surprising place, um, as as you'll hear from our interview. Yeah. Well, without further ado, here is our conversation with June Her. And we're here with author June Her. Uh, she is the author of Silence of Bones, which was a previous book club pick on our podcast, as well as Forest of Stolen Girls, and most recently, The Red Palace. Welcome, June, to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're so excited. We're, I feel like we've been talking about you and your books for years now. So to finally have you on the podcast, it's like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this podcast for a while. So I'm like, oh, so flattered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like super excited because uh, when I heard about the Red Palace, I was like, oh my God, I need to get my hand on it like immediately. <laughs> and the wait was just so agonizing because publishing is it's weird because you'll hear about something like a year and a half before it wow. comes out so it's like <laughs> um we always ask this question to all of our authors i guess can you share what your journey was as a writer like rira told me that it took you 10 years to um publish your first book i mean did you always want to be a novelist i think it was so around high school in korea when I was like panicking over my future because I was failing at school in Korea and I, I didn't know whether I'd be able to go back to Canada or not. Um, so, you know, like in high school, they always ask you like, what do you want to be when you grow up or what is the career career you want to pursue? And I knew I wasn't good at science or math or anything else really. <laughs> and, but all I knew was that I really loved writing. Um, and I loved writing ever since I began writing uh, Pride and Prejudice fan fiction. And from there, I wrote anime fan fiction, and then I'd write my own historical, um, like British historical fiction. And so I, I always loved writing since I was in middle school. And so 
that kind of made me decide like, okay, I'm going to be an author <laughs> because I think that's the only thing I'll be decent at. Uh, and so, um, yeah, and yeah, like I share my stories online and I really love the interaction with readers. And so I wrote my first original fiction, which was a Regency romance. <laughs> and I tried to get that published. Um, but the agents kept asking for revised when you submit. They were like, you don't have a plot. And I'm like, what is plot? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And so I, I, I think that's why it took me 10 years because it was like, the 10 years spent querying and trying to get published and uh, revising for agents and writing from scratch. Like I wrote that book literally like four times. Like it was a Regency romance and then I revised it into a Victorian era fiction and then I rewrote it into a um, women's fiction. And so that experience really helped, was like a practice period for me to really understand, you know, what is plot, what is character development? Um, and yeah, like afterwards, I think after 10 years, I was really tired and I was like, okay, I can't, I don't want to write any more stories set in, um, historical Britain because just the rejection was too much. And so I started looking into other histories and for the longest time I told myself I'd never write about East Asia, um, mainly because, uh, growing up in Canada, there is, there is a lot of subtle discrimination. And so I never wanted to be trapped to trap myself as an Asian author writing about Asia. Um, so there wasn't a lot of internal like discrimination and like experiences that I had to kind of overcome to finally be like, okay, I don't want to write about any other history. Um, I don't feel like I have the right to write about it or that I'm comfortable to write about different histories. And so I finally kind of looked into Korean history and I just fell madly in love. I'm like, oh, this is, like Korean history is not like that exotic Asian history that a lot of, you know, Western films and literature kind of make it out to be. Um, and so actually getting to know Korean history uh, really helped me get over like my past experiences. And I grew so proud of Korea, like Korean history and I wanted to share it. And so um, The Silence of Bones was basically my love letter to Korean history and my way of being like, oh my gosh, Korean history is so cool. And I need everyone to learn about it. From there, it was much easier. Like I had a lot of people um, in the publishing world really champion my work. Like my agent, Amy Bishop, she is like a champion for diverse voices and my editor as well. And so from there, the path was a bit smoother than the past 10 years before that. That's amazing. I love that you're not the first author to tell us that they had their roots in writing fan fiction. I feel like it's yeah, very... it's great. <laughs> I love the fact that you wrote historical fiction, but it wasn't Asian historical yeah, fiction. It, <laughs> it was like a horizontal shift of yep. like, it's like, I like historical fiction. I like the research, but maybe I should write about something that yeah. other people aren't writing about. <laughs> so I took what I, I took the skills that I, that writing, you know, Regency romances gave me like research and trying to really write to fit that era. Um, and I just like shifted it to another country. <laughs> <laughs> so what drew you to um, write books again and again in this specific era of Korean history, the Joseon dynasty? Uh, the first thing was, um, K-drama because I grew up with a lot of uh, Korean historical dramas set in the Chosun period and 
like while I always found the Koguria period interesting, so the Koguria dynasty was the one before Chosen Dynasty. And like I found it interesting, but I've always been really into aesthetics and I loved the the fashion in the Chosen Dynasty. <laughs> like I loved how the Hanbok looked like. I loved how like men and women did their hair. Um and so I was drawn to that. And then, but more importantly, the research, the resources to research was much more accessible. Uh, because the further back you get in time in Korean history, I find that it's much more difficult to tap into the research. Um, at least, at least as a English, as a writer in the English language. Um, so now I know how to re- now I've gotten a better hang at researching in Korean, but it's still, yeah, it's just not as easy, like compared to, for example, if you want to write a book in medieval England, like you have tons of resources. Um, but when I was thinking of writing about the Kokuria period, it was like, yeah, it just felt much more limited. And so I just kind of, the chosen period kind of became my comfort zone. I'm hoping to move out of it one day, but for now it's like I've uh, built I've spent so many years just building knowledge about the chosen period. The thought of like shifting to a different era is kind of intimidating at the moment. I mean, the chosen dynasty was like, what, 600 years? Yeah, exactly. It's so, long. <laughs> so much to tap into right now. So it's like, yeah, you, you don't really run out of material when nope. it comes to like historical events in that dynasty. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like I'm really glad that you brought up research because that was something that I was really curious about because uh, so much of Asian history, it's not accessible in English. And you have to be really careful about oh. English sources as well because it's if it's written by a non-Korean like there's always that fear of them like missing cultural points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like curious, did you work with a translator? Did you uh, contact professors who are bilingual to uh, do your research? I, I, I tried. All right. So my the weakest like my weakest side as an author is I'm super introverted. And so like I tried emailing a few professors and um, like I yeah, but then yeah, like I'm very just like I'm a, I'm pretty much a lone wolf when it comes to uh, researching, and so hopefully, ideally, like I'll learn how to reach out to more professors and so on. Uh, but what really helped is early on, I really I was able to discover gems. Um, so, for example, I rely a lot on um, it's called a book called Epistolary Korea, and it's uh, translated by a Korean professor, I believe. Uh, but for sure Korean. And so uh, these are just, this book is just a series of uh, letters written in the chosen period, a a collection of them. So that really helped me get a a good understanding of like, of how language was used, of how, of the ordinary day in the lives of chosen people. And there's other, and this, uh, I think his name is like Chaehyun, I only know his first name is like Taehyun and he's like published a few more works. So I tracked all of those down. Um, and I think what really helped was like, I, because my sources are limited, um, I was just kind of forced to really brush up on my Korean and tap into more, uh, into Korean resources as well. And I think having a background in history at in university, it just, it kind of taught me the tools on how to like look into like, 
on, on basically to figure out which sites, uh, which articles are valid and which are just kind of sketchy. Um, so I just relied on the tools that I had to look into resources. Um, and also just whenever I go to create to visit my parents, I'm able to visit museums and there's tons of information in the museums there. So I just take whatever I can find in that way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about your, your love of the Chosun dynasty and as a setting, I want to learn more about what led you to choose mystery as your chosen genre, because you mentioned that you started by writing romances and of course yeah. there's romance subplots in, in your books as well. But like, I remember the feeling of when I was reading um, the science of bones saying, this is a noir. But instead of like a hard-boiled detective, you have the most hard-boiled of people in this era, women living under a patriarchy, <laughs> yeah. um, solving mysteries. What led you to writing? Like, I think Rira and I did dub this like Chosan Noir as like as your genre. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, I think um, TV shows influence me a lot because I grew up really loving mystery shows. And for example, one of my favorite detective shows is a Korean drama called Signal. And it's just that it's like, it feels noir. It's really dark, really grim. And I love the vibe of that show. Um, and I also, when I was a kid, my favorite books were mysteries as well. And, but the biggest contributing factor was agents kept saying like, you don't like, where's your plot? And I'm like, I don't know how to plot. <laughs> and then I was just looking into different types of plots. And the mystery plot formula really, it just, it was so straightforward. It's like, you know, a murder happened and the main character has to collect evidence. And then you have the, you know, the climax where it's almost like, oh, I usually the climax is when you're like, oh my gosh, like I was following the red herring all along. And then it's like, you know, the, basically the confrontation towards the end with the killer and then solving the mystery. And so that plot arc was like oh like I, I can do that and so <laughs> it was a mixture of always having loved the mystery genre and then not knowing how to plot and taking mystery as my way to just practice um, I never I never really thought the science of ones would even get published uh, but I just loved the idea of um, I guess like I, I I've always loved like Victorian era mysteries but I'm like why aren't there like books that in Korea, that's just like a mystery, like an escapist mystery novel. Uh, we always get a lot of the more serious Korean historicals, which I think are beautifully written and so important. But I'm like, you know, where are the Korean books that are like, you know, just chill Victorian era mysteries. And so um, I just wrote the books that I wished were on the shelves. Um, and so that, yeah, it's just like <laughs> an amalgamation of all these little threads. I love how you say you're inspired by chill victorian mysteries when <laughs> your books are like gritty korean like like noir dramas. listen listen there's no such thing as chill korean storylines we're, yeah. we're full of han we're, That's like, so, we're so good we're so good uh, at revenge stories it's either so like true. revenge stories or like melodrama romance there's like oh my no gosh. in between <laughs> you're so right yeah like koreans cannot be chill <laughs> no we we cannot <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm curious as to so for the Red Palace for those of you guys who have not um, already read it, um, it's set during the period of Crown Prince Sado, and he's one of the most famous and controversial figures from Chosun history. 
But surprisingly, he's a minor character in your book. So I'm curious as to what made you decide to put him in the backdrop rather than in the forefront of your mystery story. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So when I began writing The Science of Bones, I found the memoirs of Lady Hegyang. So around 2015. So I've always I've been obsessed with Crown Prince Hedo for a while. And I actually tried writing through his perspective or through the perspective of another another royal for like years, a few years. Uh, but each time, like I, I just I just couldn't find this story just wouldn't flow and I didn't really understand why until uh, later on I decided I wanted to tell the story through a marginalized woman. And it's kind of my brand, but it's also because I'm always really drawn to the voices of underrepresented women in history. And uh, palace nurses in the Chosen Dynasty era were really looked down on. Uh, palace nurses were gained more respect, but still there is that tension they have to live with because they, they were, they're basically serving girls educated to become nurses. Um, and when I was researching more about palace nurses, like that their profession was so fascinating. And so, so first of all, that kind of took over the story because I was just so interested in, in the practice of nursing in the Chosen Dynasty era. Um, another thing was, I know Koreans are very protective of their royal history. And so I think as a diaspora writer, I, I, I always struggle to feel like, am I Korean enough? you know, to write about Korean history, let alone about Korean royalty, let alone about this really controversial and really just, yeah, like like you said, a famous figure in, histor- in Korea. And so I think that kind of contributed to make it, the book feel almost like you're watching Crown Prince Hado through a keyhole um, because that is that was my way of trying to as an author newly approaching Korean royalty as a way to just like be respectful, but also take caution. Um, And the most, uh, the biggest factor was the fact that uh, Crown Prince Hado, according to research, he actually did suffer uh, mental health problems. And also according to research and like academics in general, he was known to be very violent. And as someone who doesn't really specialize in mental health, like I didn't want to portray him as, you know, like to give suggest that people with mental health problems can be violent because I don't agree with that. And I'm I'm pretty sure that there were other reasons that contributed to his violence. But yeah, like it was such a delicate subject and I didn't know how to portray him, portray him in a, um, in a way to justify making his story like the ultimate story in the story. So yeah, like just writing the story through a palace nurse's perspective. So giving readers a glimpse into um, Crown Prince Hado, making them curious and making them want to research for themselves. That was my goal in the end. Uh, but yeah, in the end, I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm at the stage in my writing to really tackle Prince Hado as a main character. So that's why I kind of backed off Um, because at the end of the day all I really wanted was just to get more readers interested in his life you were scared to tackle uh, Korean royal history but (laughs) it did not stop you from writing Regency (laughs) and Victorian yeah because it's like because I think the thing is 
like there's so many Regency romances out there, Regent like Victorian historical fiction. And I've I read them growing up. And so like authors take so much liberty with it. But when it comes to marginalized history or like a history marginalized in the West, there is this burden to portray things as accurately as possible. And the fear that, you know, if you screw up, um, like the Koreans will get pissed at you and you might like misinform the, the Western readers. And so I think because of that pressure, it's just it was just like I I didn't want to bear um be the be the person <laughs> to be like, this is who I think Prince Tado is and making him make him a main character. And I just didn't want to screw up in that sense. So I think that's why I, I kind of backed off. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's definitely something to be said about the burden of just representation in yeah. a space where stories like that aren't represented. But I will say even that decision was, I feel like, a good one because I think because your stories focus on marginalized people within like this confines of history, I think that makes it stronger because I think the my favorite parts of reading, like you say that, you know, you're bad at plotting, but your books are so full of plot and just so <laughs> full of world building. And you definitely let your readers feel what it feels like to be like not only a member of a oppressed gender, but also oppressed class too. And, mm-hmm. you know, you really shine a light on what it felt like to live in during this time period. And I think you do that really, really well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I also like forgot that Korea had a secret police force and that we actually <laughs> did have inspectors because when people think about like murders that happen in like in ancient times or just like old historic periods, you're like, oh, the murderer always gets away with it because mm-hmm. there's no way to prove yeah. that like, there's no court system or anything so oh my gosh yeah, was that a challenge like figuring out how to plant clues without like modern day technology to help you advance <laughs> advance like okay this is the clue this is gonna lead us to the killer yeah um it was super trick it was super annoying first of all because it's like in modern day it's like oh like you read an email um, and you could forward it to someone like this is what the person said but in in like ancient Korea it's like oh you can't just forward an email you have to like verbalize word for word like this is what the person said especially if someone can't write um, so there was like those little annoying like difficulties that I had to get over uh, but I was so lucky as to find this book uh, called wrongful conviction and that was also I think published by the same person who uh, did the collection of epistolary Korean letters. Um, Epistolary Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Just a collection of primary letters. And so that book, Wrongful uh, Conviction, is just um, a book full of cases that were that authorities dealt with in Korea. And it shows all the techniques of investigation and torture techniques they went through and like evidences that were found. And so I kind of like that really uh, got my brain working. And I think China was already really uh, developed in the study of forensic and Korea um, kind of, yeah, like they took on that research and they were able to apply it to their own crime scene investigations. And so I think some people think, oh yeah, it's like ancient Korea. Like why do they, why do, why do things like warrants exist? Um, like the investigation seems so modern. Like, of course, I took some liberty here and there, but also Korea, East Asia, I haven't studied Asia in general, but East Asia was really advanced when it came to 
um, forensic investigation. And so I had fun playing like a ancient Korea CSI stuff. That, yeah. that was fun. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people realize. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, China, we're great at exporting legalism you know, courts and ministries, <laughs> yeah. and also um, patriarchy, I guess, and Confucianism. <laughs> and bureaucracy. And bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really amazing to think about. Like, you look at a, a lot of like historical dramas, like C dramas and K dramas, and comparing the courts of like a historical K drama to the courts of like a historical, like <laughs> European, like the bureaucracy is just way more advanced mm-hmm. than you would think at those times. And Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's cool that your your books portray that. <laughs> uh, so like many of your women characters uh, in not just The Red Palace, but your previous books, I would find them to be almost modern thinking. They're very clever. They're very independent and skilled at what they do. Uh, but they're also confined within strict gender roles, classism, patriarchy, you know, all of that neo-Confucianism bullshit. Um, so how... Did you go about developing th- these characters while making sure that they fit into the historical context? Hmm. Um, yeah, like I, that's something I think about and also struggle with often is I don't want them to be so stuck within their confines that they're like, like super that they themselves are super patriarchal and they're all they're always like super submissive and like beating them beating themselves up about it. Um, but then I don't want them to be too modern. And so I think one thing that has helped is um, like when I do research and I read letters written by Koreans in the past, it's interesting because a lot of the Confucian values still remain today. And, and it's effect, it's, it's a part of how I was raised. Um, like for example, you know, uh, being taught to be submissive and quiet and to be a good wife um, and to cook and things like that. Like there are things that I've grown with is the things that I've consumed through media, Korean media as well. And so it's re it was really easy to imagine what life under a very Confucian and patriarchal Korean society would have been like um, at the same time. Uh, like in my head, I'm kind of like, I feel like the inner world of humans in general and throughout history, there must have been something like human nature is still human nature. And I feel like under that kind of oppressive patriarchal system, there must have been women who are like, this doesn't feel right. Like, for example, um, like in The Silence of Bones, there's Lady Kang who becomes this leader in this Catholic movement. And she was very when I look at her, I would say like there there was something very feminist about her where she's like, you know, I want to educate the servants and so on. Um, Like obviously Catholicism in general, like it, there is a heavy like colonial and problematic nature to how it affected a lot of the countries throughout the world. Um, But the way it, the way it um, just spread through Korea was very homegrown and it, yeah, it just, a lot of the, it rate, it, like a lot of the women in Chosen Korea, when it came to Catholicism, like you see this kind of rebellious nature where um, they even like created this, uh, this troop called the troop of heretical virgins where the women were like, okay, society is telling me my place is to, uh, get, uh, to marry and give birth and that's all I'm good for. Well, I'm not going to get married then. <laughs> and so like I see Korean women in the past being very rebellious and 
pushing against the um, pushing against patriarchy. And so I think in that sense, it's like to us, to me, it seems modern, but it's like there has always been rebellious women in the past. And that's kind of the glimpse that I wanted to capture. Um, but yeah, I just have to always, I'm always trying to be careful not to make them seem too feminist, like too aware of their feminism. I mean, it helps when you have characters like Hyun, who is super educated. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Of course, like if you're of a lower status, obviously you have more mobility to investigate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it would have been <clears throat> if your main character was a royal. And yes. It's like, uh, how are they going to investigate? <laughs> There's always like 20 people following <laughs> yeah. them in like a parade. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's. That's when that's also like a main reason why I haven't yet written about aristocratic um aristocratic female characters because the rules back then were so strict about like what noble women could do and could not do. So the Red Palace, you returned to your roots and added some slow burn romance into the story. Um, you know, the Signs of Bones had not I wouldn't say romance, more like love. There was it was a sibling story. Yeah. Um, but this one had a lot more romance. Uh, what made you decide to bring it back into your repertoire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the 10 years spent querying my romance books and getting rejected, I was like, okay, I'm not good at romance. <laughs> and so for The Science of Bones and um, The Force of Stolen Girls, uh, that's one reason why I stayed away from romance. But also because I, re- I was writing about Korean history, Korean history is so intense. I was like, if girls gonna are gonna be investigating into murders, I'm like, I don't think they'll have time for romance. And so that's why that's another reason why I stayed away from romance. But when it came to the Red Palace, because I had from the get-go, um, be, so like the reason why I even wrote the Red Palace in the first place was because my editor suggested, like, oh, like, you know, having a palace nurse and an investigator duo would be really interesting. And so that at once kind of sparked like, oh, like there could be a slow burn romance here because my favorite trope is when uh, two detectives kind of are partnered to work on something and they slowly fall for each other. And so like, I guess um, just having that idea from the beginning um, kind of challenged me to tackle romance again. I was really afraid at first because I was like, oh, I'm so rusty. I'm going to get it so, it's going to be so corny or so boring. Um, but yeah, like, when I actually started drafting and writing the romance in, I had so much fun. Like it was, it was ridiculous how much fun I had. Uh, and so I think, yeah, like returning back to my roots was, it was just, yeah, like a game changer for me because I was like, oh, like I could actually have fun writing because before it was like, I think all my books are really grief, like grim and bleak, but having that romantic element offered a bit of levity to an otherwise grim story. Um, and it's kind of funny because um, in another interview I was talking and I was like, yeah, like the Red Palace is so fluffy. I'm like, what? <laughs> fluffy? But in my head, it's fluffy. So I'm like, it had romance and a bit of humor. And I'm like, it's the fluffiest book I've ever written. I loved Umjin because <laughs> I don't know, like, like when you think of Korean guys, like even in <laughs> modern day terms, like yeah. he, like he's such a sweetheart. He's like, like, I know you're competent. We can drop the honorifics. And I'm like, I get uncomfortable dropping honorifics yeah. with guys now. <laughs> I can't imagine back then with social rules and all that. Um, 
Yeah, like, how was it, like, developing this uh, inspector boyfriend type? <laughs> uh, it was really fun and easy because basically I had to create him based on what I thought Hyun would fall for. Because I'm like, I think I knew that Hyun would be super picky. Like, I don't, because she has that baggage with her um, really problematic father uh, who kind of abandoned her own mother and considering that baggage I knew that it would take a real like she would need a guy who would be able that she'd be able to respect and who would respect her for her to fall for anyone and so I created Ajin based on qualities that I would think would make her um, kind of believe in love I guess <laughs> uh, and also just having grown up in um, I guess I just have people in my life who who happen to be guys and who I happen to really admire. Um, and I, I, I admire them because it's like, you know, they don't, they're not like alpha male. They're very like, you know, cinnamon rolls, but super respectable. And like, they really respect women and they treat women so well and they respect their brains. Like they, 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 yeah. So like seeing that in my life, I'm like, well, I want to kind of reflect uh that in my books because before the red palace like when i was reading regency romance it was like i was always like my main my main heroes were always like brooding and jerks and that, like that's what i thought was like uh the ideal guy for the longest time as a teenager um and sure like they're still fun to read about <laughs> but yeah when it came to Ken, i'm like i don't think she'd fall for an alpha male who's like a jerk and so i just had to turn budging into like a cinnamon roll to <laughs> tempt her into a romance. <laughs> I mean, I love the um like the romantic scenes between them, like especially <laughs> the trope of, oh, we're trapped in one room and we have to like, you know, pretend that we're a married couple. Like it's it's a the it's a trope that we see in Regency romances and a lot of <laughs> contemporary romances. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, there's something like really precious about it because of uh how confucianism is set up <laughs> where like men and women can't touch each other so yeah. that like any any like proximity that they have is like i don't know explosive <laughs> like it's the same with watching like sea dramas and yeah. dramas yep. like in historical time it's like oh they're not even holding hands but the fact that they're like staring at each other for like five minutes <laughs> it's like more chemistry than <laughs> yep that was definitely what influenced me, like Korean dramas and sea dramas. <laughs> so your books are obviously written for a Western audience, but have you gotten any feedback from Korean audiences? Like have your books broken through over there and what do they think about your work? It's It hasn't really broken into the Korean uh, market so far. Like I think there's been a bit more attention like from, because I've been interviewed through, by Korean um, interviewers. Uh, but in general, like most of the Koreans that have read my work are Korean Americans or Korean Canadians or just Korean diaspora readers. And so I can't say like the only thing I know is is uh, once. Um, so basically, my all right, this is not really answering your question, <laughs> but because I don't really have an answer, because I don't really know about Korean readers reading my book. Um, but the only thing is that my name, Jun Her, is very in Korean. My name is Ha Joon. And there's there was like this really famous legendary physician in Chosun Korea named 
Pa Chun. And so they're like, oh, yeah, like, they're, like he's writing all these books in Canada. Um, so that, that's all I know about how Korean readers have reacted to my books. They think my name is very similar to a Chosen Dynasty era physician. <laughs> that's funny because I like that was the next question I was going to ask oh, really? you. Was like, I was just like, oh, yeah, like you, you have the same name as this yeah. very famous Chosen era yeah. doctor who also had his own very like popular Korean drama. <laughs> so, yeah. I was like, did your parents like purposely name you after a really famous historical doctor? <laughs> nope. They they just nope. yeah, they just named me based on like Hancha characters. Um I didn't even know about Hajun until like all my friends in Korea were like calling me by the physician's name. Uh, so yeah. Um, so I think we are winding down to our uh, to the end of the time, but I do know that you have another book that is coming out. If you can share what you can, because I I know that publishing can be very secretive, but if you could give us a sneak peek, that would be wonderful. Yeah. So. Uh, my next book is called A Crane Among Wolves, and it's about a girl and a prince who have to team up in order to basically overthrow King Yeonsangun, who was Korea's worst tyrant, in order to save her sister. And King Yeonsangun was, wow, he's like, I'm so excited to like dump all my research on ever because he was like, no, he was like wild. Yeah, he was the worst king i've ever heard of in korean history we had plenty of those too so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome well june thank you so much for joining us on books and boba um if people want to find out more about you or your books um where can they go to uh they could find me on twitter at writer june her or on instagram at june h right awesome well thank you so much for joining us um congratulations on the launch of a new book good luck with your work on your next book can't wait to just find out what else you're going to make. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had so fun chatting with you both. And that was our conversation with June Her, the author of The Red Palace, The Silence of Bones, and The Forest of Stolen Girls. Um, you can find all of our books at your local bookseller or at our bookshop.org, um, where you can also support your local bookstores and our podcast. Um, Hira, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was really fun to learn how coincidental a lot of June's writing process was. Yeah, I mean, happy accidents. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you, like, that that is a good <laughs> way to find, to mix new genres, I guess. And they, she created a really, really good one, and I can't wait to see what she comes up with next. So, yeah, uh, Rira, please remind us of our book club pick for February 2022. So our February 2022 book club pick is Good Talk by Mira Jacob, and it is a graphic memoir about Mira Jacob's experience as a person of color in America and about uh, having interracial families. Uh, her son is half Jewish, half Indian, so she explores her relationship with her son, also colorism. Um, it's been a while since we've read anything graphic like graphic novel graphic memoir so um, i'm excited to go back into that genre yeah looking forward to discussing this with you at the end of the month um and with that that'll do it for this episode of books and boba thank you once again to june her for joining us for this episode as always thank you so much for listening to this episode of books and boba and we'll see you next time bye everyone bye
Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics at QTDComics.com set phasers to fun. <laughs>